Today, we're going to be talking with um, three women who do comedy here in LA. And I chose them all because they all individually impressed me in one way or another. They're all amazing, super smart, really funny, ambitious, making moves, and inclusive and encouraging women. Sananda is a comedian, actress, and producer. She has a complex answer to, where are you from? As she is Indian, raised in Bangkok, lived in New York, and is now in Los Angeles. I met Sananda at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, where we took an improv course together. During our classes, I was struck by her ability to make outrageous, funny choices that challenged her classmates to both be present and think beyond the ordinary. That's why I asked her to put together a roundtable of comedians to talk about, well, whatever they wanted to talk about. My name is Graham High. I'm a straight white guy. After the 2016 U.S. presidential election, I realized that there was a lot of talking, not a lot of listening, especially from people like me. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm just a guy who wants to understand people who aren't like me, who live lives that aren't like mine. People like Sunanda, Emily, Atsuko, and Anna. As you can guess, this discussion includes profanity and touchy subjects. We encourage you to listen with an open mind and a sense of humor. This is Straight White Guy Listening. I started coming to the pack about a year ago, uh, and the pack is a newer theater in LA. Of course, you have the more established ones like UCB and Groundlings. Um, and of course, you also have Second City and IOS, which have theaters here but are bigger in Chicago. But the pack is only in LA, and it grew out of this I don't want to say a rebellion, but it, it grew out of a group of comedians who have experience in other cities already, back in Chicago and here in LA and, of course, New York, but maybe wanted to create a new space that's wilder. I think being wilder comes with being a young theater. It's kind of like when a, a structure gets too big, other smaller theaters start spawning from it with a different ideology or whatever. It's like, you know, if we were part of a big group and we were like, you know what, this is cool, but it's not exactly what we want. We have enough experience now um, and we believe something different than this theater does. Let's go start our own theater. That's kind of the pack. Can you, can you walk us through what we're going to be doing today and why this theater may gel with it really well. Well, I personally am affiliated with this theater because I play with two sketch groups here. So I think for people who are looking, who have a lot of talent, who have a lot to say, uh, came here to start doing things um, that they weren't allowed to or had space to do in other, other places. And today, we're gonna be talking with um, three women who do comedy here in LA. Um, and I chose them all because they all individually impressed me in one way or another. Emily Candini, who 
is one of the head people here at the Pack Theater. She teaches classes as well. She came from Chicago. She teaches improv, performs improv, has a late night show, like a late night format show on stage that she does here. But she's super rad and she's very outspoken. The first time I ever saw Emily Candini, my jaw dropped out of shock, but more out of, I was so impressed and inspired by her courage. Uh, she came out, it was like the same week of the, as the inauguration, right after that happened. She came out in a black t-shirt and then wore sheer black tights um, with no underwear on. And her reason wasn't just a shock, it's, uh, her comedy is very political. She came out and she said, if this government's gonna take away my pussy's rights, it better say it to my pussy's face. And that, <laughs> yeah, I just thought there was never a more beautiful marrying of such a strong statement, but also absurd comedy. And I have a personal obsession with women being gross or vile or grotesque on stage because I don't think we're allowed to do that a lot. I've never seen somebody come out and dare like, like just, you know, show your female genitalia <laughs> on stage. It doesn't happen a lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get guys pulling dicks out or shitting on the stage and stuff, but it's not, you know, and you'll laugh at that. But when a woman does it, we're not ready to laugh yet mm -hmm. as much. Uh, Atsuko is another guest we have. Um, she comes from the stand-up world. She is a first-generation immigrant, but actually was an undocumented immigrant for a long time. She's hilarious, and what I love most about Atsuko is when I first came to LA, she was one of the very first people who I feel went out of her way to create a space for me um, and other people like me. Uh, we met at her open mic that she does with a group she runs called Disoriented Comedy. We met at her open mic Immediately after the first time I did the open mic, she had introduced me to somebody else who ran a, a stand-up show at The Nerdist when I was doing a lot more stand-up. Also talked to her comedy partner and put me in their comedy comedy festival right away. There were no games. There was no power trip. There was no suspicion. There was just warmth, love, acceptance, and encouragement, I think is so important, and that's why I wanted to have her on the panel as well. She, she's pretty low-key and humble about it, but I've never felt love and warmth from anyone else in LA as much as I've felt it from her. And then um, Anna, um, I met doing a CBS Diversity Showcase, which is uh, at the same time that I know so many comics in this town and in New York. I mean, that showcase recruits all over the country and I think it's the biggest showcase of all the network showcases. So everybody wants to be a part of it, but at the same time, it's an extremely hellish experience. And also imagine it was a room of diverse people. So people of color, queers, you know, women. Despite having such a diverse group of people who are funny and smart, they at the same time, especially the head writer, uh, that, which was Anna's position, has to somewhat curtail or, or tailor the comedy to also feed that mainstream CBS mentality, sensibility, um, which I thought was such 
a challenge. I myself did not succeed. <laughs> yeah. I am not what they want, and I could not like alter myself or alter my comedy to fit that at all. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to bring Anna on because she understood that voice really well, mm -hmm. but at the same time is so smart, super woke, also one of the only female directors um, of a house team at IO Theater. I admired that she was able to find the balance best as she could, um, having to peddle things you know, to the mainstream, but also still keeping it inoffensive. Let's face it, the mainstream still enjoys a lot of punch-down comedy. Mm -hmm. So getting that message out there in a broader view, oh, but yeah. tailoring it right. for that. She's kind of, um, I would put Emily and uh, Anna on opposite, not opposite ends of the spectrum, but further away from each other. But they're all amazing, super smart, really funny, ambitious, making moves, and inclusive and encouraging women. I'm super excited to talk to them. Yeah, me too. And uh, you're driving the ship, you're, pilot, you're the captain, so I'm really enjoying just kind of listening even more than usual, so. Anytime I can pull a group of people I really like into a room together and have them sit and chat, I'd love that. Great. Ran. Let's go listen. Let's do it! <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, thank Hi. you so much for hanging out and chatting. I just want you to go down the line, just introduce yourself, what kind of experience you have in comedy, what kind of comedic medium you work in most, I guess, because you all have different backgrounds. Uh, okay, hi, I'm Emily Candini. I am a founder of the Pack Theater. I'm Atsuko Kotska, and I am a stand-up. I'm Anna Cecilia. Uh, my background is sketch comedy. Cool. Okay, I'm gonna start opening it up. So whenever <laughs> you guys have comments on each other's things, Graham, feel free to speak as well, if you want. <laughs> um, and then I'll just, like, there's some things I've thought about being a, wo a woman myself in comedy. First is, uh, what is with this, like, do you agree, disagree? How do you feel about act like a woman, think like a man mentality? Who, who said that? <laughs> I guess I missed the shirt. There was a book by Steve Harvey, and it's Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Yeah, that's the title of the book. Uh -huh. Yeah. What do you think? And some people believe, like, that's how, I've heard women say, like, that's how, you know, we're going to make change. That's how uh, men are going to listen to us, act like a lady, and but think like a man. How, yeah, what do you think of that? Nope. <laughs> no thanks. Why? I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what even to say to that. It's so fucking absurd. The, the, the perception that we think so differently, uh, that it's necessary for our survival to think like men, um, and just for us to have any sort of equality. Yeah, no, it's fucking absurd. I mean, I don't really, I don't have a lot to say about it because I find it very boring. <laughs> That's fair. I think until Steve Harvey gets right who he's supposed to crown at pageants, right? Like, I just don't really, I don't really, I haven't really trusted him since that. And then he said Asian men are undateable. Yeah. And then he's like friends with Trump or something. And so I don't really know, I don't know who's reading his book. Yeah, is it a book on dating like advice? Or 
is it a book on like career advice? This is a career, right? I've never read it. Yeah, because it's Steve. I'm Harvey, assuming it's just telling women how, how to, to be. How to yeah, 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 yeah. Like how to do woman the way a man wants. Yeah. <laughs> or is it advice for himself? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's like, I gotta act more like a lady. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody think like yeah, a man? He's not being very ladylike. Yeah, and he's realized like, it. Yeah, maybe I don't know. How do you guys manage or not manage or care or not care to manage being a lady and doing comedy? I think when I first started, I spent so much time focusing, like, oh my god, I need to make sure I wear, like, when I was doing improv, it's like, I need to wear the right thing, because you're like, well, I can't wear something that's too revealing, because then I'll be distracting, and then people will be just so <laughs> focused on my looks, they won't have time to focus on how funny I'm being. <laughs> and then you get to the point where you're like, fuck it, like, who cares, like, I'm just gonna wear whatever the fuck I want, and if someone's that much of an idiot that they can't focus on my comedy, then, like, they just shouldn't be watching. But like it is, it's a real, it's ridiculous that it's still a struggle. Like I can't imagine a guy sits and thinks like, <laughs> what pants am I gonna wear? Ooh, this might show off my dick. I don't wanna, you know. <laughs> I was told not to wear skirts on stage when I worked in Chicago. And so I wore a skirt for every show for seven years. Yes. Of I just bought an like a all black cotton underwear and would wear black tights and would have my skirt go up as much as I possibly could. I even went through a really rough phase that I thought was very funny. I don't know how others received it, where I would lift my skirt at the beginning of the show for no reason. I don't think about really being a woman on stage anymore. I, I don't. The only time I am remembered that I'm a woman actually sometimes is when, when just my period comes. <laughs> and then I take it as an opportunity to shake my fist <laughs> to the patriarchy and I'm like, especially when I like leave a stain or something. And you're like, I don't want this life. I didn't have a say in this. Mm -mm. But anyhow, yeah, I don't, I don't think about it anymore. How much do you guys make jokes about periods or explore those like, we bleed a lot. <laughs> we bleed a lot. If you had to bleed for like 30 years, one week out of the month, you'd be yeah. fucking talking about it constantly. Yeah, like, yeah. we bleed a lot. It's a big part of our lives. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's insulting to women to act as if they shouldn't be talking about what their bodies do naturally, constantly. Yeah. yeah. Currently bleeding right now. Congratulations. Yeah, Thank good you. for you. Thank not, you. Not pregnant. It's come three times this month. Sometimes that happens, that's, too. That's so, nice. So I feel like I should have been talking about my period for these past three Yeah. <laughs> Periods are funny. It's a comedic minefield. And I feel like if dudes can talk about boners, nonstop and continue to write sketches and do improv scenes about how funny their boners are, then like mm -hmm. we should be able to make sketches and improv scenes and jokes about periods. I'm so with you guys. Um, I love being so gross. <laughs> I'd love it if you just insulted all three of us by being like, it's disgusting. <laughs> and it's the lowest work you can do. But if you want to do that, go ahead, ladies. And it's like educational. It makes it feel OK. You don't have to feel ashamed. Yeah, it's yes. like taboo for some reason. People feel like talking about periods. It's not. Yeah. Like, who, it's a biological function. We shouldn't be paying taxes yeah. on feminine no. products. No. We should not be paying taxes. No, it's not a luxury item. I want to know like if other people 
also have to wear two pads, you know, and, and not feel ashamed <laughs> that you're constantly wearing, you know, essentially, uh, uh, what is it, deep ends. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, like, so my grandma, my grandma actually, when I first got my period, she told me, men get it too. Men also get these things. And I said, uh, what's it like? And she was like, I had no idea. I took her, what she was saying at face value. She said, except there is this white. And I was like, oh. I was like, that means she's only had sex one time. <laughs> Because she was like, men men also get their periods, but it's calm, you know what I mean? And it's this weird, yeah, that's why I was like, we need to talk about it, because people like my grandma, I still haven't to this day, like, come out and said, hey, grandma, that white thing you saw is actually what got you pregnant. You know what I mean? But, like, that's, I think it's important to... It's education as well, is what I'm saying. Totally. Yeah. And something I heard, I may have misheard it, please correct me if you know that I did mishear it, but... I think Phyllis Diller said something like, beautiful women can't be funny. Um, she believed in making herself more grotesque uh, to come on stage. I think she like she was a stand-up, uh, wore like super eccentric costume. She'd like costume, and I love that about her because I love costuming. Mm -hmm. um, and then she'd like wear a lot of makeup, but like not to beautify herself, but just mm -hmm. to make it a little more offensive I guess what do you guys think of that where does beauty fit in with comedy or not in general and as a woman and aesthetics and comedy that is something I think about a lot because it's, it's true like as like we are brought up young girls it's it's that's one of the things that's prioritized like make sure you look good like what outfit are you wearing? Like we compliment little girls on their looks before we compliment them on their intelligence or their skills or their interests in a way like it's way more heightened than we do with young boys. Mm -hmm. And I think that translates into adulthood and I think it kind of translates into internalized misogyny where, you know, when I first moved out here and I would, you know, see an improv team, you know, with five guys and one or two girls, uh, yeah, if they're like super good looking, you're thinking, oh, she's probably you know, that she's probably just there because she's the hot one. She's not there because she's funny. And it's like a hurdle you have to jump over. And I, I think being in the comedy community now for as long as I have, like, I've had to, like, squash that with myself, which is mm -hmm. more frustrating because it's not just mm -hmm. coming from men. I think it comes from how we're taught to view ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, if you are funny, that's what people are going to concentrate on. Always. I think, you know, <clears throat> so I tell, I, tell, I, I tell my film students, I tell them, you know, like when I'm talking about realism and how, you know, sometimes how do you not get distracted by the fact that it's Brad Pitt or that it's, you know, George mm -hmm. Clooney uh, playing a guy who, whose wife divorces him in, you know, what's that movie? Uh, the, the Descendants, right? Uh. We're supposed to buy that George Clooney, one of the most handsome <laughs> men on earth, would get divorced by, you know, by his wife and, and be down in the dumps and wear, wear uh, uh, you know, sandals and, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and cargo shorts. Like, we're supposed to buy that, but you got to act. If you're funny, if you're doing your job right, like, I'm not thinking about how hot, hopefully, human beings aren't just thinking about it's, oh, she's, she's so beautiful. It's, you know, so distracting. I can't picture anything past that. I don't know. And if you do, then I don't, you gotta re-educate yourself. I, Is that crazy? I don't know. I had someone come up to me once and like, 
I feel like an asshole saying it because I feel like I'm saying I'm cute. But like after like a friend of a girl on my team who's also a woman came up and she was like, I have to say at the beginning of the show, I thought you were just like gonna be like the hot one. And then you were funny and I it was it was a struggle. It's like thank you for thinking I'm hot, but also go fuck yourself for not thinking I would be funny. I get that a lot. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Uh, I don't know. I I I like want to like I want to agree with you and say like like people don't think that way, but I think people do. But then she thought you were funny. She did think I was funny, but it is. I think it's like this yeah. hurdle that people have to jump over, like viewing women first for their looks and then later for their skill sets. I guess we do that with animals. I was thinking about this with uh, with uh, rats <laughs> because there's a rat that runs across our backyard now uh -huh. every night. He goes one way and then comes back. But we were, we're always like, God, that rat is huge. And we're like, with animals, we're, we're always body shaming them. Like, that rat is huge. It's, it's such a fat rat, and it's like we never get to know him. I do catch myself doing that with my dogs, and I try to train myself. Like, every time I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're so pretty, and also very strong and brave <laughs> and funny, because I don't want them to, like, I mean, not that they know. But. You don't want them to base their self-esteem on being cute? Yes. <laughs> Dogs. Speaking to the George Clooney thing, I think the reason we accept it is because we've normalized that type of beauty so much in film and television mm. that we're so used to it that we're like, absolutely, it could happen to him. <laughs> I think that uh, statistically, from what I've taken in over the time that I've been doing comedy and theater, <laughs> but uh, especially with comedy, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I do, and I think it's with men and women. Uh, I think there's like a certain level of hot to where you're never going to be funny funny because you don't have that fundamental understanding of life because everyone gives you everything. Like hot people just get shit. Like hot, like free pass. Like you shouldn't pay for your groceries. Like I've seen that happen to a model friend of mine. The guy was just like, you're fine. Yeah. And then I was behind her and he was like charging me twice. Um, but yeah, I do. I think there's like a certain level of attractiveness um, that doesn't necessarily, that, it makes it more difficult for them to tap into um, an understanding of what's funny because for a lot of really funny people, it's been a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And pretty people don't have to defend themselves. Um, you know, pretty people have it pretty easy. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about this line. Like, I want to know. Well, no, if I you look at like. I fall under the hot uh, like, See, listen, like, I want to be able to continue to work, but there's people I've worked with, men, and I'm, I have been thinking of men the whole time, and the hot ones are never the funniest ones. Mm. And I do think that also in comedy, like beautiful women still get a leg up. Like there are no female comics who are the stars uh, or play the wives of husbands in sitcom. It's not actual comics, they're actresses. Um, and all of the men are comics. Sorry, you can be too pretty. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't be funny, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, rougher people, people who have a harder time, uh, especially in their adolescence, um, are just more naturally geared toward seeing the abstract um, and really taking viewing the world and are better at mirroring it back in a comedic way.
But what if it's like a she's all that situation? Where like you That's different. Like we're That's super <laughs> ugly and then you took off your glasses and you were beautiful, but you had like all that ugliness yeah. to like build up your comedic sensibility. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what I mean. Like it could be what if you had you had a rough childhood, but you were so hot. <laughs> you're so hot, but your house burned down when you were a kid. Yeah. Your parents got divorced. Yeah. You found out you you actually have two dads. So confusing. Um, amazing. Uh, since we kind of touched on how, well, tragedy feeds comedy or tragedy in your life. Uh, I think about that as well, but also how, so if we look at it like a socioeconomic framework of the people in most comedy arenas, whether it's stand up or improv or sketch or um, on TV and in film, it's dominated by straight white men. However, compared to people in the fringe, I would assume the straight white men had less tragedy or less to commiserate about or to, to, to make comedy out of. How do you balance that idea that comedy comes from tragedy but also explain why there are so many straight white men when it should be yeah. the people who are marginalized and have gone through a lot it's of shit. because they have the privilege to take part in comedy. Uh, the majority of people in comedy tend to be uh, there's a lot of like upper middle class white dudes um, because their parents can help them pay their rent so they can do go, go do open mics all night so they don't have to have a full-time job and support themselves and that's just what I've witnessed in running two training centers now and um, yeah I mean that's that's why because they have the luxury too. like somebody you know who's trying to help their mother take care of their siblings and, you know, lives in fucking South Central, does not have the time to go to open mics every night, does not have the luxury to pay $500 for a comedy class. They should get their priorities straight. <laughs> I know, right? If they want it bad enough. Thank you. <laughs> and also, historically, they've been making us the tragedy of their comedy. And so, assuming, right, that straight white cisgender men don't have as much tragic, they don't have a DACA story or immigration story, for example, maybe a you know, queer story having to come out or something. They, they've historically made us the butt of the joke, and mm -hmm. so that, that is why, you know what I mean? Like, bad Asian driving jokes to, mm -hmm. oh, women, right? Like, <laughs> they've, we were the tragedy in their jokes, and I think that's mm -hmm. why they had a leg up. They don't, it's, it's never true. like, I had a rough childhood. It's like, I saw this bitch the other day, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's, so that's the, that's what they've been that's so making, true. you know what I mean? So yeah. it's never like, it's not from a personal, like, so I was molested as a kid. It's always just like, oh God, yeah, this girl just went on and on and on this on this day. And then I was like, I just want to roofie her already. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't, I've heard stupid, I've heard jokes like that. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, laughing. Me. I'm laughing because I've heard almost that exact joke. You know what I mean? Yes. And then, so, um, yeah, so I think that's why. And then I've seen, you know, women also take it on because because they've heard it so much, where it's like, I got roofied the other day, and then I was like, oh, I'm, that means I'm hot enough to get roofied. You know what I mean? That same mentality that's like, no, girl, you can mm -hmm. take it back now. You don't have to be the butt of the joke anymore. I do think that, like, the, these, like, straight white men who are coming from a certain level of privilege, mm -hmm. I think they just have a different 
arena of pain and tragedy that they're coming from. It could be like, well, cool, I got picked on in, you know, middle school, and oh, you did too, and now we finally found a place where we feel like we're being supported and acknowledged and respected, and so, like, it's important to have diversity and have people who have had different experiences and different backgrounds because what they find funny is very different than from what, mm -hmm. you know, the majority of the people whose comedy we've been seeing find funny. So you've all been in comedy for a while. Do you feel, do you feel you've had to fight more to create a space for yourself, or do you feel as though um, people have pulled you in and helped you create a space? I think I've been lucky. Like when I first started out, it did feel like every you know improv team I saw or sketch team was like two thirds, at like minimum men. And I think sort of as my training has come along and as I've I did, I got like pulled into a position of power. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I feel very lucky. Like I didn't have to fight for it. It wasn't even something that I was like, oh, this is something that I want and deserve. It was just, like, someone was like, do you want to direct? And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm one of the like rare things, like I've benefited from being a woman in a minority. It's like, cool, mm -hmm. like we don't have enough like Hispanic people at this theater and we don't have female directors and you're both. So let's just get you in here and we'll cross off two boxes at once. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but like, you know, I also like was prepared for the job. Um, but yeah, it does, it feels like it's about timing and like whether or not the community is aware of something being a problem and like actively trying to fix that problem. So I, I do, I do feel very lucky. I feel like the way that my path has timed out, I've been able to benefit from it, but that's certainly not the case for everybody and for a lot of people. I was brought into comedy really quickly. Uh. I was pulled out of my level one at IO Chicago like three weeks in, and I'd never done, I'd never seen long form before. My teacher put me in a show with a bunch of like 10 year veterans. And then my level two teacher, Susan Messing, Rachel Mason was level one, they're both the best and incredibly supportive, brought back her show, Messing with a Friend, to showcase my comedy partner, female. So I was lucky because I was good. And other women, were strong enough to not be intimidated by that. And that's, I feel, one of the only jobs that is everyone's job is to like bring up the next generation. I agree, yeah. There were so many people that helped me. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important for me to keep continuing these spaces too, you know, in community, passing it down. Jenny Yang, you know, my comedy partner, was someone who, who uh, wanted to, you know, see more uh, Asian American female stand-ups. Mm. Uh, even now, you know, when we tour, we try to find um, where, where we're going, you know, uh, at least one local Asian female stand-up. Sometimes we run out because there's only like 12 of us <laughs> where we just got an Egyptian female stand-up. You know, and we're like, well, it's close enough. Close enough. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's why it's important. And Margaret Cho has worked with us, who actually is a huge advocate of community communities and you know uh, marginalized communities and queer communities and for her to for her to talk to us and be like yeah we, I want to I want to collaborate and help and headline and you know foster these communities it means a lot so I want to you know it's it's people who come before you and then you want to continue that for people who are coming 
I guess that kind of makes me think of intersectionality, which was a term that kind of confused me uh, when I first heard it, because I was like, why wouldn't everybody who's marginalized already think they're in the same boat? How does the idea of intersectionality play for you guys in comedy? Me, for example, I do sketch with a couple different groups. Like, I do sketch with a team here called the Color Collective. Mostly, actually, we have a couple white people, so it's every color. Yeah. Because we're collecting them all. Right. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrifying. It's horrible. <laughs> we're collecting Boy, them all. Boy, just chains us up. <laughs> we're collecting all the colors. Yeah, and then I also do sketch with a, a queer group at I.O., but they still feel separate to me, but both feel very important. And then I do sketch with, like, predominantly white groups, too, because I'm like gotta stay friends with white people because that's a good idea and they're just so funny and they're great so they're fine they're cool they're fine they're fine by me so i don't know if you guys think of the the things you do or the time you spend or the effort you spend on different comedic projects in that way at all when it comes to comedy sure it's uh it's you know i want we we try to we try to think about you know all the communities, as I said, with like our open mic, uh, with movements, you know, uh, and intersection intersectionality. Um, <laughs> it's important because when we all move up together, we are lifting each other up and progressing in that way. Meaning, you know, just because I'm Asian, I don't just think about Asian American issues. I'm going to be there for Black Lives Matter when the next black kid gets shot, when the black next black man gets shot, when <clears throat> they're trying to tax tampons. It means, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I have, you know what I mean? When, when, um, yeah, when the president is making up stuff and possibly trying to kick, you know, and making transgender people out of the military, like, that means a lot to me. You know, it's about all of us moving towards a place that um, makes life easier for every person as it's supposed to be. Um, it has nothing to do with comedy. That was not, <laughs> that was not funny at all. Get out! <laughs> Not what I paid for. Yeah, it is a thing in the comedy community right now, especially, um, of people tr attempting to have spaces. Uh, there's one instance of attempting to have a space and a show uh, that's inclusive and for everybody. I think a big problem uh, within this community is people are always like, diversity. Um, but there's no outreach. Mm -hmm. So they're giving scholarships to kids who are already in the building. Mm -hmm. Like, the trans community in Los Angeles is rich with beautiful, intelligent people. Um, and not just the, uh, you know, uh, upper middle class white trans, like, we need to dig in and uh, really truly perform outreach uh, and get to the people who need to be exposed to comedy uh, that won't have access to it otherwise. I think, too, just like when you're writing material, making sure that you're not lifting up your specific group or one specific group at the expense of another. We're all in this together, like everyone has their own struggles and like by lifting up, 
you know, mm -hmm. each other, we're lifting up ourselves. Surprise, I believe that too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I would love it if you're like, nope, nope, <laughs> no. I believe in lifting women who are South Asian from Thailand. Um, uh, do you guys have things that you are constantly meditating on or pondering yourselves? I guess I'll share. I am doing a lot of gross comedy right now. <laughs> it feels courageous for me to, first of all, show my body in a way, like I don't even wear sleeveless t-shirts in my normal everyday life. Mm -hmm. But on comedy, I will show my crotch, like whatever needs to happen, mm -hmm. just be like so, like a gross blob. Doesn't even matter, because mm -hmm. it's for fun. I, I'm doing a character tomorrow now that, uh, She's called Georgia O'Queef. <laughs> and I purposely don't want it super highbrow because, and like, all she does, she comes out, there's like a Georgia O'Keefe type uh, vagina flower painting. Uh -huh. um, but she comes out and it's like a performance artist thing. And uh, she like yells about her vagina and the pain and the bleeding and the uh -huh. stuff. She like sticks hair to it. Uh -huh. And then she like covers it in like fake blood. And then uh -huh. she also like rubs the guy on uh -huh. stage, his face with the blood. Uh -huh. um, and then puts a pillowcase on his head and makes him a tampon that like wipes the painting clean because <laughs> he has to stop the bleeding. I love it. And then there's like puke. There's like a queef sound in if it. If your vagina's puking, <laughs> no, he go to the doctor. <laughs> Are you sure? Wait, there's only one queef sound? There's only one queef. I feel like I maybe you should add some more queef so sounds. Yeah. I actually think this is very high concept yeah. and highbrow. <laughs> because you're making a comment on performance art. And like men who pretend to be feminists. But um, but I, I am like constantly thinking about how to be gross because I was raised to, I had like a very conservative Indian mom who's always like, be a lady. And my dad was always telling me to wear things that would cover my knees at least, you know? Um, so I think now I'm like currently exploring that a lot because it seemed, it, I was raised to think that was anti-woman. Is there anything like that you're, or you guys think about or do or? I don't really think about it, I just always, have the same drive, which is, uh, I, people need to hear me. Uh, no, which is I have shit to say. Um, and it's bigger than just fucking goofums and jerk off jokes. That's what guides me, I think, just through all of it, through it in its entirety. I just went through a blue period for the first time in my stand up. And I was really enjoying it, but then there were moments where. I would have like an existential crisis, like have I been doing comedy for eight years only to find out that I'm a blue comic, you know? <laughs> Same thing when I did something with prop one time, and I was like, I'm just a prop comic now. <laughs> I was like, I had a tiny inner struggle, but I still, I still do it because um, I got over it. Initially, I was like, oh, I want to still prove that I'm smart, so I would like sprinkle in like <laughs> intelligent stuff. Yeah, I went. Last year I was super, I spent a lot of time writing like sketches that were political because it was just like, I thought the whole situation was ridiculous until it became very real in November. Like up to the point I was like, can you believe like Donald Trump's running for president? This is so stupid, this, you know? And so I would like, yeah, I had like, I made a new Twitter account that was Trump's gratitude journal and just like things that Trump was grateful for. And, you know, cause I was like, this guy's such a, Oh God, I, you know, he's a jerk. Um, mm. So, uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's, a real, he's a real such and such, um, you know, and then like, yeah, it gets to the point, I, 
I just pursue things until they're no longer funny to me. And so I'm like, oh my, this is no longer funny because it's real and it's becomes more depressing to make jokes about it than to, you know, because like, oh, this is a reality. This is no longer a ridiculous. It was just like, I, I, it, I'm impressed with every late night writer who is able to turn out jokes like night after night on a topic that in and of itself is already so heightened and ridiculous. Like, I don't know how you make a joke about something that is already crazy. I personally can't touch that stuff because yeah. everything seems so absurd already. I'm like, where do I? Yeah, like how do you heighten it? Go. It's already so heightened. Yeah. Do you guys have questions for each other? Graham, if you want to jump in. I think I'm interested in how do you look at comedy when half of it's like, everything's good to go. We, we should laugh at everything, but then you have rape jokes. You talked about the roofie thing, or then the period is off limits. You know, people are drawing boundaries all the time. How do you guys push against those boundaries, but are there any boundaries that you keep sacred? Uh, what I teach is I actually teach people how to talk about and joke about anything, uh, and it is scenic because it's improv. Um, but I believe that anything uh, that is a part of our lives is fair game as long as it's coming from an emotionally intelligent place. Mm -hmm. And there are ways in which you can frame those subjects um, to make them not necessarily, you know, palatable, but acceptable enough to where people are going to stay and listen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, everything, because you can't shut anything down. Like, if it's like, you can't make rape jokes, I'm like, fuck you, I've been raped. I own it. Like, if anything's happened to you, you own that life experience. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely have to be uh, allowed to express uh, or explore that in any sort of artistic medium. And there are ways to do it. Like, there are ways to talk about those things, frame those things, joke about those things. Every theater says punch up and not down. Absolutely. Yeah, but no, nothing is off limits because it's also, it's all part of our lives. Even if a woman has not been raped, she thinks about it constantly, constantly. Every time you walk to your car alone, uh, every time you're home alone and wondering, did you lock the door? It's something that is in our heads all the fucking time. And so that's, it's this thing of like, things that women are regularly experiencing, people in general want to silence. And so part of it for me, I think is pushing back against that and making sure these things are heard. And I think too, it's like, it's one thing for like a woman to make a rape joke because it comes from like a personal place. So again, like even if it hasn't happened to you, what Emily is saying, like we do, we think about it all the time um, because it's like, you know, it's just there, it happens. And so like, it's it's very different for like one of us to make a rape joke as opposed to like, you know, some bro-y guy to make a rape joke. It just is perceived differently. It feels different hearing it. And I think it has to do with making sure any joke um, or sketch or scene is coming from a place of real sensitivity and from knowledge and, you know, I'm not gonna write a sketch about what it's like to be a Southeast Asian woman, you know, because that's not my experience and it would just come off very, you know, flat and superficial. Whereas like Sananda writes it and it would be amazing and rich and it would be the best sketch ever. Um, so yeah, I think it, that's just... <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I agree that there aren't really limits to what you can talk about as long as it's smart and it transcends the, the tragedy and it's, it's, and it's funny, you know. 
Uh, Mel Brooks said that uh, PC culture is killing comedy, but I think what killed comedy, what kills comedy is just bad jokes. <laughs> and so, like, you gotta do it, you know, hacky stuff we're tired of, you know, and just make it smart and, like, un unexpected. And uh, as long as you're coming from a place where you're, you know, you're trying to progress the society, I think it will, it, it should come across. Is that, I mean, it sounds like that's part of the hard thing is that maybe there's a new demand for comedy now. Everyone's kind of being elevated. I think what I would like to do is see if you guys can speak to some straight white guy that is trying to understand, trying to make the connection. Go learn yourself. I'm not gonna explain shit to you anymore. Sorry, like I'm, I'm done explaining feminism to men. I'm done explaining decency to men. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, pick up a book, go get a book about it. There's a great book called We Should All Be Feminist. Mm -hmm. It's about 40 pages long. It's super simple read and it's a great place to start. Like white men, it's been, they've checked it out. White men are more likely to listen to other white men than they are to any woman. And so it's like, you guys need to be policing, like you guys need to be policing yourselves. You need to be calling each other out and you need to be having these conversations. Like white dudes don't get together and are like, let's talk about like second wave versus third wave. <laughs> I really feel like feminism's getting monetized. <laughs> um, that doesn't happen, you know, and so yeah. Go do it yourselves. <laughs> Jesus. I feel good about that. That's all. <laughs> well, the other side of the coin that I also like to offer, maybe you'd be more interested in, is a young comic that's not a straight white guy. And you were talking before about bringing in the next generation. Can you give them some advice, something that you've learned on the road to where you are now? Uh... I always ask, are you sure you want to do it? <laughs> First. Uh, out of, you know, uh, out of, from, it comes from the best interest for that person. For real, yeah. Yeah, no, I, sure. I agree if you can do anything else. <laughs> do it. Yeah. yeah. No, because, uh, like, just many n painful nights of, just crying, existential crises, just, you know, relationships being broken, um, you know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, and then sometimes. Baby, baby, it's okay, baby. You want to start a family where you can't. No, I'm just kidding. Because um, <laughs> you're, you know, you're not home. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just going to say, come find me. And we'll do it. Cool. Yeah, I'm here until I get a better job. <laughs> <laughs> then you're all on your own. Um, yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's going through it with them. I think you, especially if you're a teacher or a director, you need to be available uh, in more ways than just notes. I think so much of it. Like one reason I've never pursued stand up is that like. It's one of those things that people tell you, like, oh, it's scary. Like, people are going to say mean things to you, and you're going to bomb, and it's going to suck. And, like, people scare you into not doing it. And I think part of it is, like, you know, sort of that privileged idea of, like, you can do anything you want if you try hard enough. And, and I, I sort of think young comics 
need to hear that because it is so much of it is about confidence and just believing in yourself and continuing to pursue it even though yeah like you're gonna bomb like you're gonna have a terrible show you're gonna write a sketch and no one's gonna laugh like just like telling people like it, your perspective is important your voice is interesting and it's gonna take you a while to develop it but like you can do it just keep at it because it's it's the people who are telling you like it's gonna suck and you're not gonna like it like those are the voices you need to drown out I'm pretty satisfied. Did we please you? Uh, very much. <laughs> Thank you, Sunana. Yeah. Straight White Guy Listening is produced by Graham High, Rebecca Brighthot, and Sunanda. To watch a short film of this conversation and for other episodes, please visit our website at straightwhiteguylistening.com or follow us at SWG Listening on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The SWGL team is Jen Lopez, Morgan Hanner, Alexis Schmidtberger, Sananda, and Brittany High. Special thanks to the Pack Theater, to Emily Candini, Atsuko Okatsuka, Anna Cecilia, to Altimeter Films, and the Eisenberg Group. All music composed by Poddington Bear and provided by the Free Music Archive. To hear more from our guests, follow Anna Cecilia at the Anna Cecilia on Twitter, Emily at Emily Candini on Twitter, Atsuko at Atsuko Comedy on Twitter and Instagram, Sunanda at Sunanda, S I O U X N A N D A at Instagram and so funny S-I-O-U-X F-U-N-N-Y on Facebook visit the Pack Theater in Los Angeles for comedy classes and live shows thank you for listening <laughs>